menopause in the workplace, the business case for being a more menopause-friendly workplace. Menopause has traditionally been seen as a private matter or a women's issue and is not openly discussed in workplaces, with very few having any policies, adjustments or support programs in place. This can mean that for many women, they hide their symptoms due to the fear of discrimination or stigma, with some even leaving the workplace through lack of support. In fact, a recent report stated that one in four women considered quitting their jobs during the menopausal transition, often when they are at the height of their career. With organisations investing in gender equality outcomes, as well as health and wellbeing, why has this link not been made yet to supporting women, as well as transgender and non-binary people through menopause? My name is Fiona Hitchener. I'm the Customer Experience Director of Parents at Work, and we're in a mission to create family-friendly workplaces where everyone can thrive at work and at home, which is why I'm delighted to have joined me on today's podcast, Thea O'Connor, Senior Advisor on Workplace Wellbeing and Productivity, helping leaders, teams, and individuals improve their workplace engagement and effectiveness through body intelligence and better health. She's also the founder of Menopause at Work, a program specifically designed to educate workplaces on how to become menopause friendly. Welcome, Thea. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, It's a real delight to have you back on the podcast. Thanks, Fiona. I'm looking forward to another really good conversation. And just um, last time we talked um, really around the experience of menopause from an individual's perspective, you know, signs and symptoms, what they, you know, what some of the challenges might be with workplace and also how to really sort of the joy, we talked about the, you know, the joy of menopause as well, Mm. which is often forgotten. And that was some of the things that we discussed. So it's great that we're back again. Um, And for those of you who haven't listened to that podcast yet, I really urge you to go and and listen to that podcast. to that session too but we're back today to really talk about you know what it means to be a menopause friendly workplace and why that's important um, and before we get started I'd love for you Thea to really tell me a little bit about how you got into this um, you know why it's important for you and what's led you to focus on developing menopause friendly workplaces. Sure so Fiona it was a bit of a surprise to me that I've ended up um Yeah, focusing on menopause in the workplace. It certainly wasn't part of my business plan, but about three years ago, I started to experience the symptoms that I now know uh, were those of perimenopause, a time when you're just reaching or building up to that time of your last menstrual period. Physically, I I wasn't affected terribly. The main changes, though, that I found really destabilizing was I just noticed my short-term memory and also just that ability to focus, became much more challenging and experienced brain fog and just not nearly as motivated as I normally am. And these were things I'd never experienced before in, in my life. I've never had a challenge, for example, with mental health. And it started to really freak me out. And I wasn't so much bothered about my health. I was really worried about my employability because being self-employed, you know, I needed a clear, sharp brain to get me through. But as I started freaking out about that, I really caught myself and I thought, hey, wait a minute. What about all those other women out there in their early 50s holding down much more demanding jobs than me? And then I realized I hadn't heard a thing about that, not once, not from my 
three older sisters, not from my older female business mentors, nothing, particularly in relation to how it can affect your work. And then I kind of sniffed a rat and I thought, "Mm -hmm, what's up here? And so I went out and interviewed 50 uh, working Australian women about their experience. And I was just profoundly struck by how consistent certain themes were, even though symptoms are really diverse. Just about every woman spoke of a sense of isolation, having to go through this by herself, feeling scared of speaking up at work for fear of being stigmatized. And that basically they just kind of pretended, you know, it's nothing to see here, business as usual. Um, And of course, that led to a terrible impact on their own health, but also their confidence at at work. So after that, uh, conducting that research, I just thought this is ridiculous. You know, it was, I guess, 2019, 2020, when so many other topics are on our diversity and inclusion agendas, including, you know, with your age, ageism, disability, even your sexual preference, how come this natural life stage, which half the population goes through, how come we can't talk about that? And decided it was time for change. So then I went about developing some offerings for workplaces based on what women have said they wanted. That's amazing, Thea. I love the way that, you know, you've taken your personal experience and sort of gone and looked at it sort of more broadly and looked at it from a, a you know, the, a more holistic point of view and used your experience and knowledge that you already had in this space to really sort of get to the to the deep cause and I think you know you're so right when you sort of talk about the confidence thing because I've even like a very good friend of mine she's got a very senior role she runs her own business incredibly successful and I've just noticed over the last six months this lack of confidence she's you know sort of in the midst of um, her perimenopause and menopause and and she's even said the brain fog you know her brain just doesn't feel like it's working and this sort of decline in confidence I've seen in such a you know an incredibly strong um woman has been really quite striking for me she's one of my she's my dearest friend and so mm-hmm. you know I'm sort of looking at it from her thinking wow you know it really does have such a huge impact on some women it can and I think the impact is worse when we don't really understand what's going on and then we also feel like we can't talk about it which then makes getting good support you know even more drawn out and protracted Absolutely. And that leads me on very nicely to, you know, why with the work that you're doing um, and, you know, you, you really are sort of leading the charge here in Australia and, and in this region um, in, you know, in driving this agenda and we thank you for it. Um, why is it so important to have these conversations in workplaces and, you know, what impact have you seen that it's had on women's careers? So that question, why talk about this at work, I I think it is the first question that needs to be addressed in workplaces because that's what immediately comes up for people. You know, why not keep it as a private matter? And I think, you know, for some women can keep it as a private matter if they choose. But I think there are really good four good reasons, business reasons, why it pays to invest in becoming menopause friendly. The first one is just the sheer demographics of it all. If you look at where are women when they go through menopause, most of them are in the workplace. So about 78% of women who are aged 45 to 60, they're at work. They're not sitting at home enjoying a big fat super. They're still working. So the workplace is where we are when this life stage occurs for most of us. And we're probably not going anywhere. You know, with um, retirement ages, they keep getting older and older. Mm. Women are going to be working at an older age, I think, more and more into the future. And we actually know 
that the, the participation rates of women aged 55 to 64, they're one of the fastest growing segments in, in the workplace. So just from the perspective of, you know, future-proofing your organisation um, with regards to ageing population and ageing workers, that's one really good reason. The second really compelling reason is that workplaces are legally required to provide a safe and discrimination-free work environment. Um, and there have been some cases in the UK where employees have won against uh, their employers, you know, the employees were dismissed, and it was menopause-related. So there's a legal responsibility to care for women during this life stage. There's also the argument around productivity. So while um, menopausal symptoms can make work more challenging for some women, probably what's more important to realise is that not offering any support can be quite costly to um, a workplace. Whereas some really simple and effective little adjustments can actually make the world of difference to a woman's health, but also her ability to, to keep doing her work. And then I guess fourthly, there's the um, social responsibility case. It's, you know, destigmatizing this natural stage of the life cycle. It's a really humane thing to do. And, you know, we have situations at the moment where teachers, for example, who are in the classroom and not allowed to leave, if they experience heavy breakthrough bleeding or really severe hot flushes that soaks their clothes, they can't leave the, the classroom to, to get changed or just, yeah, to, to recompose themselves. How, how is that okay? Um, and to me, it's not okay. So the social responsibility, I think, argument is a strong one as well. And more organisations are, you know, taking pride in their social responsibility um, efforts. So I think that there are four good reasons. And probably just going back to the, the one that's related to productivity, it's really important to remember that organisations that have more gender equality at the very top, they do better financially. So anything that a workplace can do to help a woman get through this bit of a bump in the road um, on her trajectory up, that's actually going to be good for them financially as well. Absolutely. And it's like you say, the way you sort of positioned them, each one of those is equally important in their each right. And as you said earlier, you know, more and more women are working older, mainly because, of, let's face it, financially, we have to, most of us have got very low superannuation, but also we want to, you know, there's that connection and purpose, we are wanting to continue to work and, and use our skills, um, and don't want to sort of give up prematurely, um, mm. or we want to continue working in maybe slightly different ways. So encouraging that environment where people continue, um, like you said, through that little bump in the road, what are the adjustments that organisations can put in place to, to support that? Um, and as you said, like just from an, a, you know, a societal perspective, there's no way we should expect anyone to be going into a workplace for fear that they couldn't leave to go um, to the bathroom or, you know, sort of change mm -hmm. of clothes or have a few minutes to have a refresh. If that's from a health perspective, what are we showing our, you know, our future generation if we can't do that as well? So I think they're all really amazing, valid points. And I'd love to get your input, actually, in terms of, you know, one of the things that you touched on is around gender equality. And it is you know, a lot of organisations are investing a lot of time into their gender equality outcomes and women in senior leadership roles. And it does seem to be this big gap that there's this link that hadn't been made that, you know, why are that why do we have less senior women in roles and could you know could menopause be a, a, you know as well as lots of other factors of course but could menopause be one of those factors as well um and um and you know also that sort of hidden taboo and stigma 
um, as well. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. You know, you were saying that one of the things that can really help is putting adjustments in place. One, I'd love to know what you what you mean by that in terms of what adjustments those could be. But you also mentioned that by not saying anything, which is that creating that hidden taboo and mm. um, making women feel like it's their fault. Um, what can we do to break that down? So I've got two questions there. I'm not sure which one you want to unpack first, whether we want to go talk through, you know, what adjustments can be made or whether it's really sort of looking at, you know, we have this hidden, we hide it. It's sort of a taboo. How can we break that down as well? Yeah, so I think the adjustments will only be as effective as um, the preparatory work that might have been done to make this okay to talk about. So I'll, perhaps I'll talk to the stigma piece first because I mean, if you look at also what's happened in the mental health space, the, the first thing and the most important thing that they've had to focus on is breaking down the stigma because if you don't do that, people won't want to talk up about it. So, you know, when we are having a conversation earlier, you know, I remember you posing the question, it's like, well, how come... Um, how come this hasn't been addressed before? What's kept it in the dark for so long? And I think there are a few uh, possible reasons there. And I think the first one could be that maybe we're one of the first generations to be working full-time at 55, for example. I mean, that used to be the retirement age for men and women. I remember my dad retired at 55. So this could actually be new ground. Um, secondly, I think when women have come into this life stage and also start experiencing the symptoms they don't want to speak up because they fear it will trigger gendered ageism which we know is alive and well in the workplace and menopause is a clear marker of both the fact that you're female and also that you are getting older and but what's also really interesting is that research has typically excluded women from medical research because you know our menstrual cycles mess, mess up their findings it's too complex so there's been a real dearth of information actually in relation to a number of health issues, uh, but menopause in particular. So it is an experience that hasn't been well researched and so our understanding is far from complete. So in a way, we're all a bit in the dark about it. Mm. You know, that is starting to change now, but that I think that's what's happened and I think that's some of the reasons why there has been a silence about it. And when it comes to well, what is the stigma and when I interviewed women and I asked them, well, what do you think it is? And they'd say things like there's an unconscious bias that menopause means you're not at your career peak anymore. You've, you've, you've kind of passed that. So that's the thing I think that really needs to be busted first. And to help bust, you know, that, that kind of stigma, it's really great to know that while some women do really struggle through this life stage. Other research shows that at least 50% of women will say around this life stage, their career actually gets better because they've got all that experience to draw upon. They're feeling a lot more able to speak up, um, speak out, be more forthright and not be quite so people pleasing. So there's definitely, you know, an advantage to our careers at this life stage. It, it, it's not all bad. And then, of course, the other thing that helps um, break down the stigma is just to have people share their, their real-life experiences. That's just one of the most important things. So in the workplace, if you've got any willing women who happen to say, look, this is what happened to me, then that helps people, you know, stop holding all those negative stereotypes when you realise that, you know, the real person that's, um, that's sharing that experience. And I think, yeah, go on. No, no, I was just going to say, just on that, I mean, they're going to be pretty brave women to be able to get up there yes. and share those experiences. I'm just wondering whether you've you've seen that work in organisations. Like, have it has has that? And I know that's part of some of the work that you do. But yes, you know how how have organisations gone about that? I think there's always this fear that 
oh, you know, is that something we should do? How how can how can they say if you've got someone passionate in an organisation and they really want to do address this, what advice would you give them to sort of, you know, like you've got to break down a few barriers here. How have other organisations done that? Yeah, so I'm thinking about how it has happened in other organisations and in just about every case I can think of, not all of them but most, there has been a woman who is, is getting a little bit senior, who went through a really hard time herself and she's feeling a responsibility that the women coming after her should not have to suffer in silence like she did. So, look, I've been so impressed with these women who have been willing to, to speak up and they're the ones that are making the change. And I've been wondering, I don't think all, you know, female leaders are going to feel comfortable to do that. But in the cases that I'm thinking of, that's actually how, how it got started. And then what also some of these women have done, it was something similar to me, like not assume that their experience was going to be relevant to others. So they would just go around and ask other women, hey, what do you think? Is this something we should be talking about more? And so then they kind of, you know, get the numbers, if you like, behind them. And then they're, they're able able to do things. And I also do think the backdrop you know, that's occurring in Australia at the moment that's, you know, raising the gender equality in the workplace issue quite powerfully is probably helping that as well. Mm, yeah. And we've seen, I think, you know, we can also learn a lot from the younger generation as well. They've, you know, they've, they're, they're very open about discussing lots of different things and sometimes quite challenging things that are happening. Yes. And they're really raising their voices. So I think, you know, us, the ones that, you know, sort of potentially sort of older um, need to be also going, well, you know, they're, they're, they're able to raise a lot of these issues and we need to sort of voice our, our, our challenges as well. Um, so that that's awesome. And I think, you know, look, like you say, kudos really to those women who are putting themselves out there. It's really not easy to do. And um, I'm sure they probably went through lots of challenging thoughts themselves as to yeah. whether they would do that. And in we've talked a bit about workplaces and what workplaces do. And I'm really keen to unpack that because I think, you know, sort of helping organisations think very practically about some of the things that they can do and, and more specifically for leaders, like how do they have that conversation with someone to even address, you know, would you, do you need um, any additional support or, you know, sort of really thinking through or experiences or examples of what workplaces can do, have done? Certainly. So I'll give some examples of what some workplaces are doing and then maybe speak to that issue of what leaders and managers um, can do. So here in Australia, Queensland Teachers Union have been really leading in terms of not just offering a bit of education here and there, but taking a, an organisational approach to becoming menopause friendly. So I've had the pleasure of working with them for you know just over a year now. So we started the process by a staff, anonymous staff survey, just to take the polls to see what the reaction was to this idea. It was overwhelmingly positive unsurprisingly, because they have a predominantly female workforce. But there were a few people, women, you know, saying they were concerned that this was going to um, have women seen as possessing a biological weakness, if you like, and it'll just give them another reason to be discriminated against. So I think it's good to anticipate that concern if you are doing an initiative and, you know, speak to it for sure. So uh, ran the staff survey, established a steering committee, briefed the senior executive. And then all of their train, uh, managers have been trained in how to have a practical and comfortable conversation if a woman does want to raise it with them and explore, you know, just some, some little adjustments. There was education for all staff, men, women, younger women, 
all included so we all knew why we were talking about this. And the kind of neat message you can weave into those sessions is helping them to realise that a menopause-friendly workplace is actually going to be good for just about all workers because some of the symptoms women struggle with the most, like fatigue or insomnia um, or difficulty concentrating, you know, that's something that just about all of your staff members are going to struggle with. Um, And then there was also education for, for women who are going through menopause with some tips on how to cope with those symptoms at work. Um, And we're currently looking at just different ways to keep the conversation going um, along the lines of what in the UK they call menopause cafes, where you just get people together, perhaps over a morning tea, just to talk about their experience. Because what I found was as soon as you open up the topic, it's like, whoa, because women haven't been able to speak about it, they actually really want to share their experience. Um, So that's an example of a fairly comprehensive approach. And then they're also looking at some of the adjustments that they can make to their working environment, whether that's a place to to rest if you need to or take time out or just making sure particularly the people on the road have got things like the little portable fridges for cold water and cold um, for women who are experiencing hot flushes. So so that's um, one example of a pretty comprehensive approach and they're also trying to place that in the context of simply um, becoming I guess an age-friendly culture you know they're recognizing that yeah our staff are getting getting older and so for men and women you know how can we make this culture appreciative of our mature aged workers so that's one example then when it comes down to well, what can leaders and managers do well I think one of the things leaders can do is in their own way just acknowledge that this life stage exists because it hasn't even been named and when if you ask women what they want at work they'll say can we just normalise conversations about this? And I mentioned some of those brave women who are speaking up about their own experience. Um, and then they can make sure that their health and wellbeing initiatives actually take a life stage approach to worker wellbeing. And that's, you know, acknowledging that at different life stages we have different needs. And it's also acknowledging that, you know, we actually employ human beings, not machines, and human beings go through these natural uh, stages of the life cycle. Um, They can also make sure that or work towards creating an inclusive culture that makes it clear there is a career path for mature age women and that, you know, you really value what they've got to offer. And probably from a mindset point of view, it's really great if they can help start communicating the message that menopause is a really significant life stage to be supported rather than just a bunch of problematic symptoms to be solved. So they're just some of the, um, I guess, messages that leaders can help send. And then when it comes down to the managers who, you know, are managing their teams and and their staff, one of the key messages I try to get across in my training is probably the two main ones are don't make assumptions about what a woman of a certain age might be experiencing because there's an incredibly diverse um, experience of menopause. So, for example, you've got 20% of women who don't even experience any symptoms at all right through to the other 20% who will have quite severe and long-lasting symptoms. So don't make any assumptions. And also a reminder that it's not their role to diagnose a woman. You know, you don't go up and say, hey, you're experiencing menopause. But as a manager, it is your um, part of your role to feedback any changes you might be noticing that's relevant to their work. Something like, oh, I noticed you seemed quite uncomfortable in that meeting and you you didn't contribute as much as normal you know, were you comfortable? Is there anything I can do to help there? Or you just seem a little bit more stressed than normal. So you're just opening up the door. And then if the woman wants to raise menopause itself, she can. Um, 
and also just taking a positive approach. If a woman does initiate a conversation with you, which would be the ideal rather than you uh, starting it, you know, just saying, great, I'm so glad you've raised this. You know, your health is really important because if you can be comfortable with the topic, that's going to put uh, help to put her at ease as well. And then it becomes a, a conversation around the two people, manager and employee, looking at what are some options here just to make work a little bit easier and to make it easier to take care of your health. So that could include, it's often things that workplaces have in place already, and it's just making menopause an okay reason to request them. So things like flexible work options can be really helpful if you're experiencing insomnia, for example, if you can work at the times when you feel the most energised, that's really great. Or if you're having really bad hot flushes, the options to work from home can be really good too. You know, if you're on the video screen, you can turn it off when you need to. Um, or it might be simple things like just encouraging the woman to take more regular breaks to reset her mind or reset you know, your emotions. Um, and it's interesting, if you look at all the different kind of adjustments that could be made, flexible work practices and just a separate room where you can go to either have undistracted work or to even take a little rest break, those two things go a long way to um, making it easier for women to deal with a whole range of, of symptoms. For people who work in jobs that don't have a lot of flexibility, you might have less room to move, but what is still really powerful is opening up the conversation, getting workers together and asking them to come up with some ideas but also just the education about what menopause is and what supports are available, that alone can be, be really helpful because unfortunately we women ourselves aren't that well educated on this topic and just providing information is a really simple and easy thing that, that workplaces can do to make it easier for women to find information during a life stage where they're usually super busy and don't have a lot of time to do all that extra research themselves. So they're just some examples of some of the simple changes and uniforms is another one to be looked at for, for professions that have to wear you know, heavy uniforms, looking at getting them made in more breathable fibres can also make a big difference for, say, policewomen as one example. There, that's fantastic. And I, whilst you were saying all of that, I was thinking about all of those different adjustments you know, it's not just it's not just for menopause. I mean, if, I think mm. you know what you're talking about there is creating a really inclusive culture where, regardless, you know whether it would be menopause, whether there may be some other chronic condition or healthcare need, or caring for a loved one that means you need different adjustments. You know, being able to have those conversations for whatever reason. Mm. So you sort of normalising the fact that it could be menopause, it could be you know another health condition it's actually so important for so many different reasons. Um, and I think, you know, if we can start breaking down the taboo around menopause, then it will help others encourage them and go, oh, well, if we can do that for menopause, maybe we could do this for X, Y, and Z, because it has been for so long something that's been so hidden and so, um, you know, not discussed, even between a lot of women, let alone, you know, mm. in the workplace at all. So I think, you know, and like you say, some of those adjustments are already in place, flexible work options, you know, flexing times of day that you're working, um, you know, the focus on well-being. Um, and I even read somewhere that some organisations are providing some paid leave to manage some of those more extreme symptoms if, if required um, yes. and I'm not sure whether I think there's one organisation here in Australia that's doing that but there seems to be a lot more sort of overseas that are really doing that as well. I don't know whether you sort of come across that. 
Yeah, so the Victorian Women's Trust were the first to do that and um, they did that quite a number of years ago, offering paid leave. And I like their rationale. They'll say, well, we shouldn't expect women to take their sick leave because it's not an illness. That, that's the way they talk about it, which, which I rather like. So they've had that in place for a number of years, yeah, and I think they were probably the first in Australia to do that. And, yeah, Future Super, a small organisation, has also introduced um, that, that paid menstrual menopause leave as well. So, yeah, that, that's another thing that workplaces are offering. And I think that's, that's great, but I wouldn't do it without also offering some of those other um, possible changes that might mean the woman might not need to take leave at all. You know, it, it gives us that bit more flexibility. Yeah, and like you said, all of that, first of all, you need to be breaking down those barriers and being having the, being the ability for women to feel safe, to be able to come forward to say, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going through or this is some of the adjustments that I'm... They need to have, feel safe first to be able to ask for any of those adjustments. Um, and we know that you can have a policy in place for anything, but unless you create yes. a culture around that, yeah. that people feel comfortable to utilise the supports, then it's really a piece of paper in a drawer. So, like you said, I liked the way you positioned it first. Let's talk about the let's talk about the conversation and the stigma first before we do anything else. It's it's the same with lots of different, um, like you said, within mental health or within the LGBTQI plus um, community. You know, have breaking down that first is the first thing that we needed to do to address how we support um, different people in the workplace. Um, and I'd love for you to just tell me a little bit about some of the programs that that you run. Yeah, sure. So when I interviewed women and I asked them what they wanted, there was a, can we please normalise the conversation as number one. Um, but they also said that they did want key people in their workplace to understand what menopause is, to understand it's a temporary life stage, and to also, you know, feel comfortable having the conversation. Because sometimes women said they didn't feel comfortable talking to their manager, not just for themselves, but they worried that their manager would feel uncomfortable about it. And some also some really good research conducted by Latrobe University researchers who are now at Monash also found that, you know, that's what women said they wanted. So one of my key offerings is training for managers on how they can, you know, have a comfortable conversation and explore, explore the options. And it also includes a little bit of background education around, well, what can you personally do to help break down that stigma? and to help reframe menopause, because that's also what women have said they wanted. They said, look, we're desperate for a new paradigm. All that we hear about it is just so, so negative. So there's the training for managers. And then I've also created a program for women who will probably perhaps never want to talk about it in their own workplace. So that's called The Change. And it's for women from different workplaces to come together and get support so they can feel more confident and connected as they work their way through menopause. And that focuses on offering support in three dimensions. There's the social support, which is still really important, that experience of, ah, I'm not alone, fuel relief. The second level of support is the psychological support, and that's very much about inoculating ourselves against all those negative stereotypes because it's actually quite scary how much we absorb those unconsciously despite what our stated values or beliefs might be. And then the third dimension of support is the really practical stuff around, okay, so I'm having a lot of hot flushes. How am I going to manage that in this meeting or presentation that's coming up? If I am struggling with brain fog, you know, really practically, how am I going to manage my, my work um, with, with those symptoms? So they're the, um, I guess, main programs. And then there's also a consultancy piece 
which might take place with some of the um, more senior leaders, and that's around, you know, doing the groundwork, doing the policy reviews, looking at, you know, what else needs to happen so that, as you said, staff feel like that this actually really is okay to talk about. Um, yeah, and I'm continually listening to workplaces as well, you know, tr- hearing what they, they need. Mm. So I'm also developing a resource hub as well and probably just a very short very short training for leaders so that they understand their responsibilities and also the positive difference that, that they can make. Wonderful. Well, like I said earlier, you know, I really congratulate you um, for, you know, sort of using your experience and thinking about, you know, what you can do to to make the environment for others, um, you know, more positive, um, both in the workplace and then for individuals as they're going through this. I think, you know, I I love listening to people who have sort of gone through something and have gone, well, I'm not just going to sit there and and accept this, the status quo, I'm actually going to do something about it. So I think, you know, that's I really commend you for that and it's just fantastic and I love the work that you're doing um, and um, I'm really grateful for your time today and your, your knowledge and expertise you know you've just got so much knowledge it's just wonderful to share and hopefully we can do a little bit of breaking down some of those stigmas to get these conversations out there in the workplace um, and we will definitely share your your details in the podcast so that um, if anyone wants to reach out to you to learn more they can do as well but thank you so much Thea I really appreciate your time um, and your expertise. Thanks, Fiona. Enjoyed the chat. Great. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, don't forget, you we have lots of podcasts in our series. Um, and don't forget to listen to the other podcast with Thea and I discussing the signs and symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. But thank you for your time today. And we hopefully you can join us again in the future. Mm-hmm.